0: It's my great privilege uh, to welcome Ruth, who's come to speak with us this morning. Um, yes, let's give her a round of applause, maker, for a welcome. Uh, Ruth is the director of Tear Fund from Northern Ireland, and she's worked with Tear Fund uh, for seven years, and she's recently moved over from the north of England. She's from the north of England. She moved over uh, to take over the post of Tear Fund Director for Northern Ireland. But her husband, Aaron, is also with us. Welcome, Aaron. He's from Northern Ireland. And I think Roy is giving him lots of woos because it's his mate. So um, go, Roy. Um, they also have a little boy, uh, Seth, uh, who's two, and he's enjoying some fun in a big slime bucket, I think, at the moment in the back there. Sorry about that, guys. You can go oh, and get at the end. Fine. Yeah, yeah, we're at the end. Um, so uh, they are also part of our vineyard family. They go to Belfast City Vineyard. That's their home church. So it's lovely to have them. But um, when Ruth is not, I hear when you're not uh, doing tear fund wonderful stuff all over the world. And I hear you've had wonderful experience. We're looking at that tribe to a video of just being in many, many countries and exploring our world which is wonderful I'm very jealous about that I love to travel but understand you also love baking and being a mum. and uh, so it's our privilege to have you here with us this morning I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say we're a community that loves local what Jesus is doing but we are just expanding our world and seeing what Jesus is doing wider so for us it's exciting to have you here to hear more so can I pray for you Father, I just thank you that Ruth is with us this morning. We speak blessing on her life and on her family as she um, inspires many people to see the wider vision of what Jesus is doing in our world. And uh, just as we welcome her here this morning to speak with us, we speak blessing and favor on her life. And may the Father expand her risk-taking and her ability to dream. And um, may that release the lives of many people. Um, all over the world. We thank you that she's placed here in Northern Ireland and we, we bless her this morning. And may you um, just inspire us with your words this morning, Father, through what Ruth has to say. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to just open our hearts to uh, dream for more and to see more of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you, Ruth. Hi,
1: everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a real honour to come and speak in a vineyard church. Um, as Yvette said, like Vineyard's our family, so it kind of feels a little bit like being at home. Um, and just want to commend you guys on your welcome. Like you're so such a welcoming church. Um, I got coffee delivered to my hand, people to come and talk to me. Um, it's just really amazing and really nice to feel welcomed. So I'm gonna start with A question for you. Um, Is anyone here a historian? No one? Okay, it might take a little while then. Um, So I have a list of historic moments, um, key events that happened in one particular year and I'm going to list these events and I would love you to try and work out which year it is. So um, this was the year that Boeing introduced the first 747 jumbo jet. Apparently, it was a game-changer in the world of aviation. Any ideas? There's some mumbling. 1950, did someone say? 1952. Okay, we're getting close. Um, it was the year that two black athletes say, staged a silent demonstration against racial discrimination in the Mexico City Olympics. Um, they raised a black-gloved fist during the national anthem after being presented with their medals. Sixty-eight. well done. So, you've nailed it before I even got through the rest of them. So, just, I'll go through them anyway. Um, so, it was the fir- first year the manned spacecraft orbited the moon. And it was the first year, I was hoping you'd get it on this one, if you had any Man United fans. Um, George Best was the first Northern Irish footballer to pick up the European Cup winner's medal in 1968. But also, among many other historic events that happened in 1968... Um, it was also the year that Tearfund was born. It's older than me. So for those of you who are quick at maths, you might work out that that means that this year Tearfund is 50 years old. And for those of you who don't know who Tearfund is, Tearfund is an international, it's a Christian international relief and development agency. And we work, so we've been around for 50 years, but we also work in about 50 countries around the world And we primarily work through the local church. Um, And we work through the local church because we know that um, they're there before any disaster. Um, And they'll be there during, and then they'll be there after. They um, They are the link into the community, which means that working through them is a sustainable way. When we've gone, they're still there. And the church is not only able to help Lift people out of material poverty, but it's able to address spiritual poverty and unlock what we call God-given potential for people to be able to understand who they are in Christ um, and be able to move forward with that understanding and with that confidence. So, um, in Leviticus 25, we read about how the 50th year is really important to the Israelites. It held great significance because it was the year of Jubilee. Is anyone? Are familiar with the term "the year of jubilee"? Good, great. A few people. Um, when I asked a few people, because I knew it was coming up to Tearfund's fiftieth anniversary last year, what jubilee meant, most people told me it was about the Queen. Um, and so it's good that um, we have an idea that jubilee is actually rooted in the Bible. It's rooted um, in Mosaic law, and in essence, jubilee is about the restoration of a good way of life, um, a restoration where, of people to, ones, uh, to each other, to God and to creation, which means that um, people can flourish um, and they can flourish in God's kingdom. So as we at Tear Fund have been looking back over the last 50 years, we've seen countless examples of individuals and communities seeing restoration and flourishing. The number of people who are living in extreme poverty around the world in the last 50 years has halved. The number of children who are dying before the age of five has also halved. And now 91% of children in developing countries have access to primary education. In the countries that we're working in, we've seen millions of people lifted out of material and spiritual poverty. People I've met... People like Isaiah, who had a profound impact on me. People like Kamala, who lives in Nepal. And people I'll talk to you about today, like Beringi. And I just want to pause there before I go on. In the last 50 years, we have seen significant progress. Sometimes it feels like we're not getting anywhere. But the number of people living in extreme poverty has halved loads, millions of people's lives. Have been transformed, and that's really good news. And I want you to remember that and know that the church, people around the world, are making a huge difference and we're seeing transformation, and it does work. But there is more to be done. You only need to turn on the news or look around you to understand that um, we're still living in a broken world. Families have been forced to flee their country. Due to conflict, farmers can't feed their families because the rains aren't coming on time, and individuals don't have access to training um, or the skills that they need to lift themselves out of poverty. It's really easy to take that stuff that goes through the post and recycle it, or to switch the channel on TV, or to look the other way, rather than living in the tension of what God's heart is for those people in poverty. I mean, I work for Tear Fund. Um, I see it day in, day out, but it's also really easy for me to recycle that post or turn the TV off or even go, you know what, um, and analyse the way that somebody might be um, reporting a news story. But really at the the heart of it is that these are God's people and um, he has a vision for them to flourish. And we can be part of that. When we see the statistics... Um, sometimes our minds just turn off. And poverty and injustice feel like giants to conquer, that we're facing, that we we just don't know where to start. But then I want to remind you of um, Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. It appears in every gospel. Um, And I had a really... um, transformational moment when I was sitting under a mango tree in Uganda with a whole load of um, people from a church there in northern Uganda who had been, had a really awful time um, with some extreme conflict. And they'd just come back to their communities after living in a refugee camp. And they were studying the feeding of the 5,000. And they were doing, a, we were tr- with our trainer was talking to them, the guy from the local church, um, he was trained by Tirfan's partner, and he was talking to them about what does this mean, what, do, what happens in the story of the feeding of the 5,000? And um, the key thing that I picked up of that was that Jesus' disciples and Jesus are faced with a hungry crowd. They're faced with 5,000 people hungry. In fact, it was 5,000 men, so there's a whole load of women and children there, too. And the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, what, what do you want to do? Should we send them away to go and get some food? And Jesus' response is, no, you feed them. He tells his disciples to feed the massive hungry crowd. And their response is usually, um, that's gonna cost a lot of money, is that the best way to use of our money? How on earth are we gonna find the food? Um, practical details, and Jesus just says, what do you have? And um, there's different versions, but in one version there's a, a little boy who has some loaves and fishes, and he comes forward with his loaves and fishes. And the disciples bring what they have, and Jesus performs a miracle, and he feeds the hungry crowd. And what he asks the disciples to do is come with what they have, He blesses it, and then he distributes it, or they distribute it. And so um, at Vineyard, we have that saying, I don't know if you guys use it, of everyone gets to play, and literally, the disciples got to play. Jesus said, what have you got? And they came with the measly thing that they had, the tiny amount, and they saw a miracle. And then they got to be part of distributing that out, sharing that out. They got to be part of that miracle. So um, Jesus inspires his body, his church, to feed a hungry crowd. And he, he asks us, what do we have? And when we offer what we have to God, we're able to see a real difference. So when we see a hungry crowd, rather than being overwhelmed, Jesus asks us to feed them, and he asks us, what do we have? At Fund, we believe an end to extreme poverty is possible. In fact, this year we're declaring we won't stop until poverty stops." And we continue to follow Jesus where the need is greatest. We have a strap line that says, "We follow Jesus where the need is greatest." And we really do to, to really extreme places, places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. I think we've got a few stats and a map on the screen. So the DRC is in kind of Central East Africa. It's the second biggest country in Africa. And it has a population of 80 million people, which is just huge. I tried to think of a way to um, say this is, this is equivalent of this many football stadiums and it's just basically loads of people. Um, but of those 80 million people, 87% of them are living below the poverty line, which basically means they don't have enough to eat or to be able to provide shelter or health care for their families. So, 87% is one of those statistics that feels like a giant, that we can't face, feels too much. The DRC is a broken country. It has huge mineral reserves. Um, often, some of the minerals that we have in our phones are from the DRC. And it's a country that has, ex- has experienced extreme conflict. And in fact, actually, in the last few weeks, um, violence has erupted again in various different parts of the DRC. It's not really a very safe place to work. Um, but Jesus is there, and his church is there, so we're there. Poverty in the DRC is, is fueled by brokenness, by broken relationships. It's not about what people have. I mean, the country has huge mineral wealth, it has huge potential, but it's about the brokenness in relationships, the broken relationship with God, broken relationships with one another, which causes violence, and broken relationship with creation. And so when we at and look at poverty, it's not really about whether people have water or food um, or material things. It's about um, their relationships and how we see um, a way to restore them. Which is why when we talk about Jubilee being about restoration, that's something that we want to talk about because we're about restoring people back to God. We're about restoring their relationships with one another and being able to honour the ground that they live in and share that well um, to avoid conflict. The DRC is what we call a fragile state. It's not just fragile um, economically, but politically and socially. And when I say violence has erupted, um, the DRC is is pretty well known for its mineral wealth, but also for the violence against women that happens in that country. So when I say violence, um, I particularly mean against women, against children, against villages and communities. Violence doesn't just mean people throwing stones at each other. It means people losing their homes... The house has been burnt down, losing everything, losing their dignity. And violence, unexpli- like, unexplicable violence happening to women. The worst that you can even think of. DRC is a fragile and a broken place. But broken communities are no new thing in this world. In fact, um, knowing that brokenness and injustice is part of our world, God gave Moses um, some instructions to the Israelites on how to address the key issues that would come up in their society. So um, next slide is Leviticus 25, just pulled some passages from there. Uh, Leviticus tends to remind me of mildew there's loads of passages about mildew in Leviticus Um, so it's probably not something that you read that often Um, but it's um, kind of the laying out of the Mosaic law and um, it it was understood that some people would be tempted to take advantage of one another so verse 14 says if you sell land to any of your people or buy land from them do not take advantage of each other It was well understood that that would happen, so don't do it. It was expected that some families, some people would become poor. If one of you or your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. And it was expected that some people would have to sell themselves into bonded labor, and if you or your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, do not make them work as slaves. You see, these laws were laid out because God wanted to establish a system that encouraged justice and to be right at the heart of the community. So the year of the Jubilee, which was to take place every 50 years, once a lifetime, was a year to reset, to restore what has gone before for example, it was mandated in that year that people would return to their land, um, that their original homes that every family had been um, given to by God. So if you'd sold your home um, because you didn't have enough money, you were able to return back to it. Debts were cancelled, slaves were set free, restoration, um, it was like a reset button every 50 years, to avoid people living in poverty, to avoid people having to be um, slaves, to avoid people being in debt, to produce freedom and restoration. Ultimately, it restored it into a just society where all creation could flourish under God. It was basically a resetting of his kingdom. And Jubilee reminds us today that God's heart is for justice and freedom for everyone. These laws may feel old um, and in and amongst verses about mildew, but God had set this in our Bible. God has set these laws because he believed in justice and restoration for individuals, for communities, and for nations. And I'm just going to, we've got a film to play And then I'm just going to talk about what this looks like for us now. We believe restoration is available for everyone.
2: Motivated by the relentless love of Jesus. We're helping individuals and communities unlock their God-given potential.
0: And discover that the answer to poverty lies within themselves.
2: In the 50 years since we started working alongside local church partners.
0: We have seen millions of people across the world released from poverty.
2: People like Birungi. My name is Birungi. I am from a village in the rainforest of the Democratic Republic of Congo. It is a country full of potential, but after years of fighting, life is hard for families. And it is especially hard for girls. My family has always been poor. When I was younger, I had to stay at home to look after my little brother and sister. I wanted to care for them, but I really wanted to go to school. I knew that if I studied hard at school, I could get a job. But school was too expensive. My uncle heard about a skill center supported by Tia Fund's partner. All are welcome, even children who have never been to school. When I heard there was a place for me, I was so happy. They told me how Jesus offers freedom to everyone. I qualified and got a sewing machine to start a dressmaking business. I started earning. I then saved for a better sewing machine powered by pedals. I then saved more to buy a piglet. I sold the adult pig and had money to buy a calf. I'm now saving for more calves. When I sell my cows, I will be able to buy land or a house. When I'm sowing, I feel empowered. I wanted to be set free and I was. Without my training, I would still be at home without even enough food to live on. I would be suffering. I thank God for this work and how TFN support set me free. Birungi has overcome extreme poverty. She has a hope and a future restored to her and is now a role model in her community.
0: But 87% of people in the Democratic Republic of Congo still live below the poverty line. Too many lives around the world remain broken. We believe an end to poverty is possible and we all have a part to play.
2: We won't stop. We won't stop. We won't stop. Until poverty stops. Until poverty stops. Will you join us?
1: So, in Luke 4, Jesus has been tested in the desert and he goes out to. Um, from there to visit synagogues and he goes home to Nazareth and as was the custom, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stands up and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he finishes by proclaiming that today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I love this passage. Um, it's the start of Jesus' ministry. The um, American theologian Jim Wallace describes it as Jesus' first gig. Like it's his first opportunity to get out there and like lay out what he's about. It's called the Nazarene Manifesto. It's his manifesto for what he is here to do. And he was saying to the listeners, those who would have known the Mosaic law, that he has come to make Jubilee possible, that the year of the Lord's favor, which is a direct reference to the Jubilee, he's come to proclaim it that it's not for um, some kind of old law for back with the Israelites. It's for there there and now, and it's for now as well. So it's for those who were under Roman occupation, but it's also for us in the here and now. He set out his mission, which is God's mission, and he longed for his disciples to follow in his disciples in his footsteps, and bring liberation and freedom, restoration and redemption to their communities. It's his manifesto, rather than being a written document that just gets sent out during election and and never really gets um, put into action. He said, today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. It's a challenge for the disciples, it was a challenge for the people there, but it's a challenge for us now. How do we fulfill this? What does it look like for us to bring the kingdom in? For What does it look like for us to declare the year of the Lord's favor? Well, Jesus said um, he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. This is the first um, reference of poor in Luke, um, but Luke goes on to reference the poor a lot. In fact, it's the gospel that has the most references to um, people in poverty, to vulnerable people. And when they say good news to the poor, it can be translated in loads of different ways. But from my experience, when I've met people who we've been working with around the world, when I've met people that the church hasn't quite started working with yet, or that they've been through um, really kind of significant trauma. They don't really seem to be able to lift their heads up. I often ask three questions. I ask, what was life like before? What's life like now? And what, what are your dreams for the future? And for those who um, haven't yet really kind of experienced any restoration, the last question they can't answer. So what are your dreams for the future? They just often look a bit confused. They can't really lift their head up to think beyond their daily meal, to think beyond the here and now and dream for the future, for what God's plans might be for them. So when we talk about um, releasing God's given potential, we're talking about releasing people to dream, to think for the future, to move forward, um, to just be able to think of something more. So Burangi described how she wants to buy a house. She has a dream for the future. And so that's good news for the poor. It's good news for people to be able to think beyond the today. Good news to believe who they are in Christ and that they have potential. So when we say we proclaim, Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, the church around the world is already doing that. Church is proclaiming good news to the poor so that they can lift their heads up and think beyond today to believe and know who they are in God. And Jesus said he came to proclaim freedom to the captives. Jesus came to bring liberation and freedom. And in a society where we talk a lot about freedom and liberty, I think sometimes it's a bit unclear. What are we free to do? And what does that mean for others around us? Burungi was helped captive by the belief that there was nothing in her future. But her future has been rewritten, and now she is free to dream. She says um, she feels empowered when she's sewing. She's free to make a plan for her future. Now, when this film was shot, one of my colleagues, Peter, went out there. And he came back and was telling us about the area that he went to. Um, And they had to... Get, uh, they basically landed in the DRC, then they had to get another plane, and then they had to um, go drive for a bit, and then they had to get motorbikes, and then they had to get a boat. And he was like, this is the most remote place I've ever been to. And it was a logistical operation trying to get us there to film. But they spotted Burungi from a mile off because she held her head up tall because um, she was able to talk about what women could do in the community in a place where women aren't really valued. And she, they saw something different in her, so they decided to interview her. You see, she has been set free to be able to move forward, to be able to help others in her community, and that's what she says she wants to do. She wants to see more people um, be able to be released from poverty, to be able to be restored and to understand who they are in God. So when we say freedom to the captives, it's freedom to be able to dream and freedom to be able to rewrite your future. To be like, you know what? I wasn't, I didn't go to school. I didn't have any education. Um, what could I do next? I, I could just be at home trying to scrape and earn a living. But she had the freedom to go and train and she got a sewing machine and then she gets all this livestock and it's, it's always one thing above and beyond another because one little thing sparks something um, because people begin to believe in themselves. So when we say Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor and to fr- provide freedom for the captives, the church is already doing it around the world and we can be part of that. God is calling us, the church, to meet the needs of the hungry crowd. The needs that exist in our still fragile world. To feed the hungry crowd in front of us. To bring restoration where there's brokenness. To bring freedom where there's captivity. And to live out his relentless love in everything we do. To be kingdom bringers. And so... I want to speak those words of Isaiah 61 over us today. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on us because the Lord has anointed us to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Burangi said, without my training, I would still be at home without even enough food to live on. I'd be suffering. That could have been her future. But instead, she's a successful businesswoman. She's viewed differently within her community. She holds her head up high. She has options and a hope and a plan for the future. And I've already said this, but the DRC is rife with violence. It's a broken country. It's a fragile place. And women are given very little opportunity. So Beringi is one in a million. In fact, 80 million people in that country. And there's so much more to be done. In such an unstable, fragile place, there is, it is about releasing people's hearts. Because whenever something things are taken away from them whenever violence erupts again. When you know who you are in Christ, when you are restored to God and you seek restoration in relationships, then that's when we'll begin to see a difference in that country. So in um, Tierfund's 50th year, we have this vision. We're saying we won't stop until poverty stops. And we want to see 5 million people restored from material and spiritual poverty around the world. And alone, we know this vision is just impossible. But with the support of churches and individuals and God, we actually think that we can see God perform a miracle. So I really want to invite you to be part of this, to be part of us in our 50th year. And I want to ask you, what do you have when Jesus presents us with a hungry crowd, what do you have? What can you come with for God to be able to perform a miracle? What part do you get to play? And so I've got two things that I'd love to ask you to do, but um, I want you to think about that for yourself as well. Not just for tear but what is your response to a hungry crowd? What does it look like to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? What does it look like to bring good news to the poor, to f- provide, pr- proclaim freedom for captives? So um, on your sheet- seats, for some of you, there's a little um, leaflet that says, join us. We are not going to be able to um, release 5 million people from material and spiritual poverty without the support of people like you. So I'd love to ask you, would you consider giving to Tier Fund? Um, the best way to give to Tier Fund or to give to organisations like us to, is to give on a regular basis, so, um, because that means that we can plan our income and we can plan our work. That means when disaster strikes, we're prepared, because we know how much we can release to respond to that disaster. So I'd love you to think about giving to us on a regular basis. Something like £12 pounds a month would help two women like Berengi to be able to um, go through the skills training that she did to restore them, to lift them out of poverty. You can give whatever you would like. Um, That's just an idea. Um, But I would love you to, if you want to, you need to just fill in two bits of that form and seal it up in its envelope and give it to me. I'm not interested in how much you give. I'm interested in what you have to bring. And the other thing is that we wanna embed this in prayer. So as well as 5 million people released from material and spiritual poverty, we want to see a million prayers raised this year. We're committed to praying around the world 24-7, 365 days a year. As an organization, we've committed to pray 24-7, 365 days a year. And we've worked out that we probably could manage that with people around the world working in the middle of the night for us um, and us working in the middle of the day. So I'd love to ask you, um, would you pray? And um, if you feel like you have nothing to bring, you have two hands that you can put together in prayer. So we're asking people if they would commit to praying with us. And we have an email that goes out once a week that we're praying around the world. So we're praying across all the 50 countries. We haven't got to the DRC yet. We're still on Burkina Faso. So um, if you want to pray for the DRC, if you want to pray for our work, um, come and see me and the best thing to do to start is to get one of these and some of you might have to get them in the post but it's a prayer diary and it's got a daily prayer in it for you to go across the next two months and at the back it's got a little link for you to be able to sign up to receive an email every week which will give you up-to-date news on what you need to pray for. So I'd love you to think about what you have, what can you bring to be able to see God perform a miracle. What have you got when God says, "Feed the hungry crowd"? What can you bring to be part of it? Um, so I'm going to ask the band to come up. If that's all right. Um, and we'll close in worship. And I think you guys have ministry time. Um, but before that, I just want to pray. So. Um, Some of you know who Justin Welby is. In fact, he was in Northern Ireland this week. Um, I spotted him um, in our office, or around our office, and was like, that's Justin Welby. He's the Archbishop um, of Canterbury, but it means he leads all of the Anglican communion around the world, so um, he looks after lots of churches that work with Tearfund, and and he's written a prayer for us um, in our 50th year. So I'm just going to pray this prayer, and then we can um, lead on into worship, and it. Come and chat to me at the end. Um, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to pray with you. So let's pray. Gracious and generous God, you became poor so that we might be enriched by your love. And you gave the world's wealth and resources as a common inheritance of all human beings. We pray you would strengthen your church to be a beacon of hospitality for the poor. We pray that seeing the light of Christ's love the nations and peoples of the world may fight, may, world may fight, not to kill, but to outdo one another in care for the poor and in actions of gracious generosity. Through Him who, for our sakes, did not grasp the wealth of heaven, but instead gave all to live for us as a slave and die for us in pain, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.